Today's reading is from Luke 14, starting at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the cities, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, for I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Well, Penny, thanks very much indeed for reading. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to uh, see you. Uh, Do please keep Luke chapter 14 open and I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray together. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of reading your word and hearing it proclaimed. And we pray that you would indeed revive our souls, make us wise, rejoice our hearts and enlighten our eyes. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I wonder what the best invitation is that you've ever received, perhaps a a birthday uh, party invitation in a fantastic location, or perhaps the wedding of a best friend, a wonderful day to to celebrate, or perhaps it was an invitation to, uh, I don't know, watch your favourite sports team, or go and see your your favourite band, or perhaps it was an invitation to join a whole bunch of friends in a magnificent uh, surroundings doing something uh, together. I think probably for me, one of our uh, best invitations was to a black tie dinner at the Guildhall in the city. And the invitation came on an extremely kind of heavy duty piece of card. It was a gold embossed all the way around uh, the edge. The dress code was definitely black tie. The evening started with drinks in the old library, which itself felt as if it was about the same size as a cathedral, followed by dinner in the Great Hall. You won't be surprised to learn that we RSVP'd extremely quickly. Well, today, this morning, we are looking at the greatest invitation you could ever receive, Jesus' invitation to his heavenly kingdom, this parable, this well-known parable of the great banquet. And yet the shock is that Jesus tells this parable to explain why it is that so many turn the invitation down. Because remember, this section of Luke's Gospel starts with that uh, question back in chapter 13, 
verse 23, just look back to it, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And we've had, haven't we, the answer over the last two weeks. Not so much few, because there will be many. It's just they, they won't be those who you would expect. Not the religious, not the impressive, not the opinion makers, not the elite, not the powerful. But in many respects, the also rans. Perhaps it's all best summarised in chapter 13, verse 30, as Jesus says, some who are last will be first, and some who are first who will be last. But why is that? Well, we saw last week, it's not that Jesus lacks compassion, but that people lack humility. They won't humble themselves before Jesus. They won't say to Jesus, I know I don't deserve to be in your kingdom. Chapter 14, verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus tells this parable that we're looking at today, in part to urge those who have yet to accept his invitation to do so, and to do so urgently. And there may well be some of those, uh, some of us who are joining uh, Grace Church here uh, this morning, for whom that is precisely the take home from today. But primarily, Jesus tells this parable to help those of us who are his disciples to see why it is that more people won't follow him. So that we're not discouraged when we face apathy and rejection, or when people seem just disinterested or too busy. And so that we persevere in proclaiming the gospel far and wide, knowing that on the final day, there will indeed be many, a great multitude in Jesus' kingdom. So that's where we're going this morning. And if you printed off a copy of the outline, uh, you'll see our first point there. There's nothing wrong with the invitation. There's nothing wrong with the invitation. Have a look at Luke 14, verses 15 to 17. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, one of the ways in which the Lord Jesus talks about his heavenly kingdom is as a great banquet. It's how the section begins back in chapter 13, verse 29. Uh, we're told, and people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And that language is now picked up by one of the guests at the dinner party, which uh, began in, at the start of chapter 14. As he says in verse 15, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's a banal, rather awkward comment designed to change the subject. Jesus, you'll remember last week, he's been exposing the religious and political establishment, their refusal to humble themselves, their refusal to enter his kingdom. This is a hasn't the weather been lovely kind of comment, which is designed to break an awkward silence and change the topic of conversation. And yet, of course, it also reveals this man's presumption that he will be in God's kingdom. And so Jesus replies by telling this one of his best known parables, the parable of the great banquet, 
it's a far cry, isn't it, from what is often, I guess, the popular view of heaven, of being sort of stuck on a cloud, you know, wearing a nighty, playing a harp. Instead, Jesus describes his heavenly kingdom as a banquet, a wonderful picture of enjoying God's good gifts, his good creation. And of course, above all, it is so very relational, isn't it? Here is God in the very presence of his people in the new creation. Now, much of this would have been familiar to Jesus' uh, listeners. I put Isaiah chapter 25 from the middle of the Old Testament on the outline. Just see how Isaiah describes that heavenly banquet, the new creation in Isaiah 25, 6 to 8. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Now, will you notice that this is a banquet with a difference? It's a banquet in which death itself will be swallowed up. Now, whatever we live for ends in death. It covers, doesn't it, even the greatest of lives. I was just uh, noticing some of the some of the people who have died this year. So Ken Spears, the, the co-creator of the Scooby-Doo cartoon series. The actress Diana Rigg, the 1966 England World Cup winner Nobby Stiles, Diego Maradona just this last week, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, James Bond actor Sean Connery. All have died. And yet here is God's promise hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, that one day death itself will be swallowed up forever. In many respects, it is the world we all long for. In a sense, it's, it's a world that uh, movements such as, the, such as Me Too or Black Lives Matter or Extinction Rebellion are all about. Longing for a perfect world. No more death, no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no sadness, no loneliness and no disappointment. And who are the expected guests? Well, Old Testament Israel, like the Pharisees. And now in the arrival of Jesus Christ, everything is ready. After all, remember at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. By dying on the cross in our place, Jesus unlocks the gate to the heavenly party. The forgiveness of sins, uh, peace with God. Everything will be ready to invite people into his kingdom. All we need to do is to accept the invitation and follow him. It really is the best invitation you could ever receive. So why don't more people follow Jesus? Well, there's nothing wrong with the invitation. Now, it's easy, I think, to forget how wonderful the invitation is. 
especially perhaps if we're someone and actually we've been following Jesus for uh, many years. Um, after all, following Jesus in the UK means very much being part of the minority, being on the cultural edge, so to speak. It's very much not mainstream. It's easy to lose confidence talking about Jesus, easy to lose confidence inviting people to hear about Jesus, or simply to lack energy and enthusiasm for the work of the gospel. And yet the fact is that all the jubilees and carnivals and fiestas and banquets and laughter and festivity of a thousand years of human history will not compare with the wonder and glory and joy of the celebration which the king of the universe has planned. There's nothing wrong with the invitation. But secondly, there's everything wrong with the excuses. Have a look at verses 18 to 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, in the days before refrigeration and online food deliveries, you couldn't simply order your posh party food from your favourite supermarket and have it delivered the next day. Now, that meant that in the first century, um, dinner party protocol was such that two invitations would be sent out when there was an upcoming uh, celebration. The first would have been sent several weeks beforehand so that uh, numbers could be uh, sorted out so that you knew how many people were coming and so that you could order the food and make sure everything uh, was ready. The second invitation was then sent at the point when the celebration itself was ready, telling people now is the time to come. In other words, each of these guests who make their excuses, they've already said yes to the first invitation. Now that the second invitation comes, they say no. And they really are the worst excuses you'd ever hear. A first century farmer wouldn't have dreamt of buying a field without seeing it. I guess it'd be rather like uh, going onto eBay and looking at a house and uh, and partying with a million pounds, despite the fact that you, all you've seen is pictures, and then uh, decided to go and look at it afterwards. Nor would he have dreamt of buying some oxen without first going to examine them to see if they were fit and healthy. It'd be as foolish as uh, buying a car over the phone, parting with your cash, and then only later taking it for a test drive. As for the third excuse, why that is the most contrived of all. In a culture where wedding plans took months, it's inconceivable that he had suddenly decided to get married just with a few days notice. You know, it's as if he kind of opened his diary, uh, you know, on Monday morning just to check what, what he had on that week. Oh, yes, I've got that business meeting on Monday. I'm meeting up with those friends on Tuesday evening for a drink. Oh, and, and look, oh, I quite forgot. I'm meant to be getting married on Wednesday. And unlike the others, there's not even an apology. What keeps people from Jesus' banquet? A piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. None of them, of course, bad things in themselves. 
It's simply that other things, these other things, were more important to them than Jesus' kingdom. There are deals to be done, there are careers to be pursued, holidays to be enjoyed, kids to ferry around, pleasures to pursue, and all without any reference to God. I wonder what you make of their excuses. Because when all is said and done, they are fake. And as far as God is concerned, they're an insult. Just listen to one commentator on these verses. Let the words of our Lord on this subject sink down into our hearts. Infidelity and immorality no doubt slay their thousands. But decent, plausible, smooth-spoken excuses slay their tens of thousands. No excuse can justify a person in refusing God's invitation and not coming to Christ. Well, you say, what are the implications for us? Well, if we haven't yet accepted Jesus' invitation, it's vital to see our excuses for what they are. They are as offensive to God as the excuses of the people in this parable. I guess it's the equivalent of a, of a friend or a colleague perhaps inviting you to, to a party or to go and join them for a drink uh, one evening when we're out of uh, lockdown, you're able to do so. And of course, ordering your substantial meal at the same time. And you say to them, well, of course, I'd love to join you. But I, you know, Tuesday evening is my sock um, tidying evening or it's my hair washing evening or it's my phone update evening. They are just fake excuses. Hope we can begin to see how actually this gets very close to the bone indeed. For every militant atheist banging out books and articles on their keyboard railing against Christianity, there must be 20 others who think they can safely ignore Jesus or just pay lip service to him, and that somehow they'll be welcomed into his heavenly kingdom and be at his heavenly banquet nonetheless. But they won't. And therefore, if you've never accepted Jesus' invitation, why not? At the very least, I take it you should be asking yourself, do my excuses really stand up to scrutiny? While those of us who do belong to Jesus, why we need to see people's excuses for what they are. We live in a country where Jesus is largely ignored. He's largely ignored by the establishment, by the opinion makers, by the elites. He is scoffed at, he is sidelined, he is paid lip service to, he is barely given a nod at state occasions, or he is simply ignored. It's very easy to be unnerved by all of that. Very easy to lose our confidence. So why is it that people reject Jesus? What stops more people following him? Is it because the New Testament documents are lacking? Well, we've just heard from Adrian, they're not. Is it because the claims of Jesus don't stack up? Is it because actually the invitation, it's just not all it's cracked up to be? No, it's simply because people don't want to go. Other things are more important to them. They have other priorities. Now, of course, it shows, isn't it, how to, how to pray, how to pray for colleagues and friends and neighbours like that. 
uh, it also shows how to pray for ourselves, that we wouldn't be unnerved by it, but unnerved by people's excuses. I guess it reveals too, doesn't it, something of the, the limitation of what, what is often called apologetics, you know, trying to answer all those questions, you know, can I trust the Bible, what about suffering, hasn't science disproved Christianity, how can Jesus be the only way to God, is Christianity misogynistic, all those kinds of uh, questions. Jesus is showing that at the end of the day, it's not intellectual objections and intellectual questions that stop people entering God's kingdom. It's simply that they don't want to, and that other things are more important to them. Thirdly, watch out for the reversal. Watch for the reversal. Have a look at verses 21 to 24. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, I guess we might expect the, the master perhaps to be disappointed or anxious or, or sad or embarrassed. It's easy to present God like that as a kind of wounded party. But no, notice he is angry. And rightly so, because his, his gracious invitation has been turned down. This is his just, righteous anger. And so the invitation goes out to others, to those who would never imagine that such an invitation would come their way. I think it's what explains the word compel there in verse 23. It doesn't mean the servant forces people to come. Rather, he is showing them precisely how much they are wanted, that actually the invitation really is for them. In fact, it's very easy, I think, to miss the significance of the servant in the story. He actually bears a very close resemblance indeed to the Lord Jesus. So notice in verse 17, he, he, he announces that the banquet is ready, just as Jesus came to earth uh, to proclaim and invite people into his kingdom. He then, notice, returns to the master to report back, just as after his death and resurrection, the Lord Jesus ascended back to heaven. But he then goes out a second time to compel people to come in. Again, the parallel with the Lord Jesus as by his spirit, uh, the message of this glorious invitation goes out uh, to the ends of the earth. It's the reversal that lies at the very heart of this section of Luke. Some who are last will be first. Now that is precisely what we see in Luke's second volume in the book of Acts as the gospel goes out to the nations as all sorts of people from north, south, east and west become disciples of Jesus. An Ethiopian eunuch, a Roman centurion, a Lydia, the businesswoman, the first convert in mainland Europe, the Apostle Paul, who himself would take the message of Jesus to the heart of the Roman Empire. Some who are last will be first, but some who are first will be last. 
like the Pharisees here in Luke chapter 14. They think, you see, that the only person they've rejected is Jesus. They certainly don't think they've rejected God's invitation to his heavenly banquet. And yet, of course, once we see how very central the servant is to this parable, we see, don't we, that if you're rejecting Jesus, then you are rejecting God himself. What do you say? What are the implications? Well, I think just one word. Perspective. Perspective. Because, of course, the tragedy is that the banquet is so good. No one who's sitting at uh, the table in that banquet, no one's going to be fussing about uh, the fact they didn't pay more attention to their field or to their oxen or their career. For those who have yet to accept Jesus' invitation, don't let the attitude of the Pharisees lock you out. Remember, chapter 13, verse 24 strive to enter through the narrow door it's hard isn't it to to go through a door which other people aren't going through we begin to think to ourselves oh perhaps perhaps it's not really the right door to go through at all or perhaps if i do go through actually what's on the other side isn't really that important after all but jesus wants this wants us to see what is really important in life. You say you're too busy. Really? You say that work is so demanding. Really? You say that you'll wait till you get older and you've got less on your plate. Really? You say that you have so many family commitments. Really? Can we see Jesus isn't fooled by our excuses? So let's make sure that we're not fooling ourselves. Of course, it may well be that actually we relate much more easily to the second group of people who were invited. Those who never really imagined that such an amazing invitation would come their way in the first place. Perhaps you don't regard yourself uh, as part of any establishment, let alone a religious one. You're far from God. And you know it. In which case, the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to know that this invitation is for you, if only you would accept it. But what about those who have accepted the invitation? Well, again, it's that one word, perspective. When we feel we're in a minority, when we feel that Jesus' kingdom is insignificant, when we feel intimidated or just ignored by a secular culture that barely pays lip service to Jesus. Why, we're to get a sense of perspective. We're to get the right perspective. The banquet's not cancelled. It's just that, on the whole, it's not the impressive, the opinion makers, the powerful, those perhaps we might think of as the first, who are going to be there. So let's expand our horizons, perhaps change our perspective and rejoice that actually across the globe, even today, there are indeed those from north and south and east and west who will be at Jesus' kingdom. 
and open our eyes to those around us, those around us where we live or at school or at work, who might be thought of as being amongst the last. Perhaps those who are far away from God because of their lifestyle or their culture or their sexuality or because of their background and prayerfully seek to bring Jesus' invitation to them. Let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, glorious invitation which the Lord Jesus issues to this heavenly banquet. Thank you that he died on the cross and rose again. Thank you that death is indeed defeated for those who belong to him. And we thank you too, Heavenly Father, for helping us to see why it is that so many uh, reject this wonderful invitation. And we pray, therefore, for all of us, for a sense of perspective, for those who uh, are holding on to these kinds of excuses. Uh, pray for uh, an ability to see them as you see them, to see their excuses as you see their excuses. Uh, for those of us trusting in uh, the Lord Jesus already, again, we pray for a sense of perspective to see how glorious your banquet will be, uh, to be reminded that there are indeed people from north, south, east and west who are coming into your kingdom. Uh, please would you alert us to those who we might think of as being last, uh, such that we might be able to invite them to hear of Jesus' glorious invitation, and no more so than in these weeks ahead leading up to Christmas. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,